the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're, I got you laughing already. Are you leaving a voicemail? <laughs> Hi, it's me, Brian Fromm from the Common Good. <laughs> Please leave. You're probably a out shopping right. Now. That's always the weirdest thing to me when people leave voicemails and are guessing what you're doing. <laughs> Stop guessing. You're probably happy when the when the reality is you're probably ignoring my phone call right now. <laughs> Every voicemail should just be this: Mike, click. That's it. That's all I need. Were you, a, were you a Seinfeld fan? Uh, yeah. Do you remember that back then it was the uh, the answering machine, obviously, and George had his, uh, oh, I wish I could remember, we'll need to look it up. George had a whole song from a uh, from a theme song from one of the, uh, like the $10 million man or whatever, and it was hilarious. Believe it or not, George, is, that's how it went. <laughs> Oh, that was his outgoing yeah. message? That's awesome. <laughs> but it was like this whole thing, and so he would let him go to voicemail. Just, anyway, <laughs> glad you're here with us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, Twitter, at Common uh, good talk. Uh, you know what's intimidating, man, is uh, giving up your seat here and then having someone like John Armstrong sit in it. He was really good. I think you say that every time I have a guest. Because every time you have a guest, I'm intimidated. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to bring in your non-interesting dumb friends. <laughs> they won't return my calls. <laughs> <laughs> no, John's, John's, I knew that he was going to slay it, yeah. but it was even better than I was anticipating, to be honest. And uh, I hope that I hope that people, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it because yeah. his his insight and wisdom after 70 years, I just think is phenomenal. I'm super thankful. We're, we're totally thankful. It's like this common good family where people will step in and do this. So it's it's always fun. We're grateful for him uh, doing that. Well, one of the big stories in the news the last couple of days, and it struck my eye because, well, for a couple of different it reasons. struck your eye? Yeah, well, you okay? caught my eye. <laughs> caught my that eye. story punched me in the eye. Caught my eye, struck a nerve. I combined struck the two. Struck my eye or caught your nerve. I caught your nerve. <laughs> like you're going fishing. Like, what'd you get, son? I got a nerve. I caught a nerve. <laughs> it struck my eye or caught a nerve. Oh, gosh. And, uh, no, it caught my eye. And that was this NBC silent on Lawrence O'Donnell's retracted report that bypassed MSNBC's verification process. Let me give the background what? of the story. Okay. And I think there's some messages here or some lessons here for even us as pastors and uh, some other things. So anyway, uh, NBC News remained silent Thursday morning regarding whether or not MSNBC host Lawrence O'Donnell will face disciplinary action after being forced to apologize and retract a single sourced unverified report, which bypassed the network standards, claiming President Trump possibly had loans co-signed by Russian oligarchs, oligarchs, oligarchs. O'Donnell admitted on Wednesday that he aired information that, quote, wasn't ready for reporting and broke NBC News regulations in the process. He said, I did not go through the rigorous verification and standard process before repeating what I heard from my source. Had it gone through that process, I would not have been permitted to report it. Oh. I should not have said it on air or posted it on Twitter. I was wrong. 
to do so. And the story goes on and on. Uh, NBC's quiet about it. You know who's not been quiet about it? President Mm, Trump. (laughs) I could have guessed that. And so a couple things about this story stood out to me. Uh, The first is like this was no small story. Uh, He said he was claiming the president uh, to be tied to Russian oligarchs, that they were signing his loans. And that's why he's like, that's a that's a major story right there. And he went with one source that was unverified. uh, And it turns out not to be true. He had to go back and say it's not true. But but here's the issue in this day and age of I'm, I'm using air quotes. Uh, fake news or hashtag. How about I use hashtag fake news <laughs> in these days of fake news? It feels like a story like this does more to to rip down the credibility of all media people uh, than any Donald Trump tweet, anything like that. Mm. And, and if I were another media person, I'd be livid at this guy right now. Yeah. So what do you think is the lesson behind it all? I, I think as pastor, let, let's take it to the church, right? As pastors, we get the opportunity to say a lot of things. Or as radio hosts, you and I have now entered into the world of media. Uh, it, it's got to be that the, that, or on Twitter, it's the goal is not be first, it's be right. And that everything about our culture is be first and get it, get your name out there. You know, Lawrence O'Donnell got this and he's like, well, it's a little shaky, but this could make my career like right here. Like I can torpedo the president or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's one lesson. The second lesson is, uh, so the first lesson is, like, make sure you're right about what you're saying. Like, do the homework. Right. Uh, The second lesson for me in this, as a pastor, say, is uh, one blatant uh, misspeak. I won't call it a lie because clearly he wasn't blatantly lying. But one thing wrong like this can undo thousands of things you've said right Mm -hmm. when it's this big of a deal. Uh, Not just for him, but for other people on a station or other people – Whoever you want to doubt in the media, this gives you a reason to do it. Yeah, that's well, true. Well, if he did it, now what about person X? I don't believe any of them. Donald Trump's right. Everything's fake news. And it goes and goes and goes. So it's, you know, great. He said he's sorry, but it's like the horse is out of the barn. <laughs> and so as people who speak for a living, I feel like it, the bar in this day and age where people can really check stuff right. has to be raised even that much higher uh, for not just accuracy, but truthfulness. I think it's probably worth uh, mentioning, too. There have been a couple of times where we've started rolling with the story, and then the other one pulled up Snopes and was like, hey, real quick, this isn't totally true. Like You're being kind. Usually uh, I start with a story, and I see you typing. I'm like, uh-oh. But even I had the opportunity before we went with the story to say, hey, let me, let me search that out real quick. Sometimes I'm not even really thinking about it till halfway through the segment, and we've already said some stuff about it. So I think... There is there is some sense of wow okay we need to even catch ourselves like you said now kind of existing in this this media seat but like I was just watching a, a documentary a couple of days ago called The Great Hack have you seen this yet Nope it's on Netflix it's about it's mostly about Cambridge Analytica and one of these days you're going to bring up a documentary we'll yes but usually <laughs> I'm just like nope well it's a Netflix original it's it's really good it does have strong adult language so be mindful of that but it it follows a number of people uh, not the least of which is uh, Brittany Kaiser who is the former director of, I think, business development for Cambridge Analytica. Okay. And so there was a hearing with Alexander Nix, uh, CEO, and and they're, they're with her in her apartment, and he's like, he's literally in the midst of this hearing, and they're getting her real-time reactions to things he's saying, and she's going, that's not true. That's not how that happened. And I'm thinking, 
How often is that happening? We're wow. not we're not given a documentary of every hearing and every yep. scandal and every. And you're totally right. A lot of it has to do with speed, but a lot of it has to also do with audience. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah, good point. If someone has a bigger audience, you can just squash what somebody else is saying, even if it is true. Um, but I think there is a growing, an understandably growing suspicion of media, both left and right. Yep. Like, wait a minute. If if they if they each kind of keep getting caught with all these redactions, it's kind of like what you said though. The the horse has left the stable, which I do when, in my most despondent moments. I think that's part of the goal. Yeah, I can apologize this, for this twenty four hours later, but yep. the news is already out there and it's done the damage that I wanted to. I think even that sometimes with that nefarious intent is still happening. Yeah, and that's what really bums me out because I don't feel like it was like that forty years I ago. I agree with you, and I feel like uh, so. Even if you look at what Donald Trump tweeted after this, President Trump said uh, the totally inaccurate reporting by O'Donnell for which he has been forced by NBC to apologize is caps lock. No different than the horrible, corrupt and fraudulent fake news uh, that I and many millions of great supporters have had to put up with years. So bad for the USA. And you're like, no, not everything's wrong. Not everything's correct. But like underneath this story, you're like, yeah, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to argue with you right there. And that's what's sad to me about the story, because. I want to believe most of what we hear. I don't want to believe that most stuff out there is fake news, whether I'm naive or not. And then things like this just chop away at it. It's really hard. Well, I think it's one thing to want to believe it. I think it's another thing for Americans to say, okay, I'm going to do my own research. I am not going to share every headline I read without first reading the article. I'm not going to retweet until I've actually done my counter research, which uh, there are probably plenty of people listening thinking, I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. At the very least, I would say, then don't share it. Yes. Don't share it or retweet or repost it so you can actually point. do 30 seconds of homework. Because honestly, sometimes that's how quick it is. Yeah. This is a different caliber of a story, but how often is something in meme form posted yeah. and we just reshare and someone in the comment section is like, that's actually completely inaccurate, yep. but now it's out there in the internet. I think I think we can yeah. do better just as citizens. What's the old saying? The, the, the lies get it, go around the world before the truth gets out of the stable. Like it just goes. Yeah, yes, so, right. Uh, anyway, we'd love to hear your uh, opinion on this, this whole concept of fake news uh, and things being inaccurate. Uh, you can do that at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, a hard story. We, we, we try to bring up stories from Christianity and from the church uh, more worldwide. Uh, Going to share a difficult one coming up next here on the Common Good. AM 1160, uh, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Friday afternoon. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast: Google Play, Apple Podcast, all the others. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show and on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Uh one thing that one one of the things you and I've tried to do over now that we've got like eight months under our belt, like now we can speak of the history of our show, right? One thing <laughs> but that should we though? <laughs> Is that enough time for us to speak? Remember way back at the beginning? Remember, oh, remember you only had one child. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> That's a good point. One thing we like to do is to try to get outside of the bubble of not just the Chicago land, but of America, American Christianity, American news, and try to remind ourselves. Uh, that there's some crazy stuff going mm-hmm. on in the world, particularly to Christians, um, that puts uh, it reminds us of what we can be praying for. But it also puts into perspective, you know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, we're being so persecuted. Uh, these wedding cakes, you know, this and that. <laughs> and those are big deals, to you know, especially if that's your life. But uh, but there are some major things going on worldwide that are uh, that are actually really hard to read, like. Uh, yeah. When I first posted this article for us to do and you first read it, it was like, really? <laughs> like, Kind of like, 
you'll want to do this one. And this is out of the Christian Post. You can read this at thechristianpost.com. And it's just titled this, Bible Translator Butchered to Death in Cameroon, Wife's Arm Chopped Off. Jeez. A Bible translator in Cameroon was killed on Sunday morning during an overnight attack while his wife's arm was cut off, according to a ministry source. Bible translator Angus Abraham Fung was among seven people said to have been killed during an attack carried out by a suspected Fulani herdsman sometime during the early hours of Sunday morning in the town of Wum, who, uh, according to... F.E. Tembon, who leads a ministry called Oasis Network for Community Transformation. Located in Cameroon's violence-ridden Anglophone region, where separatists are fighting for independence, uh, WAM is among several localities where youth uh, from the nomadic Fulani herding community are being encouraged by government actors to carry out attacks against local farming communities. And then it goes on to say, I read in some other spots where they are particularly targeting Christians and and people of other faith. And, and so it's just a really dangerous place to be. And so yeah, right. this Bible translator uh, who was in his 60s and served for years with Wycliffe Bible translators working on the New Testament translation uh, in the Agam language, a project that was completed in 2016. Uh, he had immersed himself uh, in this and uh, and he was brutally killed with other people. His wife was injured. And it goes on to say they've burned churches and have killed people in several areas uh, and and it's just really really uh, bad. And when I read these, I'm always just struck by a like I don't know why like I don't see these stories anywhere. Like and and for my mind, I don't know how your mind works. That's a general statement, but just in this one, uh, I don't think globally. Now you've been to India, you've done other things. I think you've probably. I'm going to put this in your mind. I think you probably have more of a global mindset. Uh, I tend to just think about like not just my life, but when you talk about Christianity, I, I tend to just think American Christianity and what's going on. And so I feel like I need these types of stories to be reminded that there's this whole world out there where there's legitimate persecution going on, people legitimately facing death. Uh, and, and it reminds me to pray and it, and it gives me an appropriate heaviness. But also just a reminder that, you know, there's a there's a risk that a lot of people are taking to follow Jesus that I just don't understand. I, I wonder if in your perspective, because you, you had mentioned before we went on air that, you know, we've done stories like this. And and just right now you said, yeah, these stories remind me. Yeah. I think the, th- the three things you listed remind me. It provides heaviness yep. and it prompts me to pray. Are there other things that we should be doing with stories like this? Oh, that's a great question. I wonder if if you if there are ways to support these people. I don't know. That's a great question. What comes to mind for you? Anything? Because I don't know what we could do for uh, people in the Cameroon or wherever where they're facing these types of things. I do think as a pastor, and I still don't necessarily do this really well, but I'm doing this better. Uh, and this show is a big reason because of this. But also there's been some people in our church who've challenged me to kind of highlight things like this, not necessarily go into the details of a story like right. this, but to highlight things like this uh, during our time together on Sundays uh, to be like, hey, there's a bigger world out right. there. And right. I've been t- I have not been good at that, but I think it's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, because like you said, you can be reminded and go, man, that's terrible. And then I'm going to pray and then gone. It's yeah, gone. Right. I'm mowing the lawn now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do like mowing the lawn. You but, do. You do. Um, so yeah, that's something. Uh, and uh, the other weird thing you and I've talked about is just tr- for you and I, I tend to, uh, go past things quickly. And you've said before, correct me if I'm wrong, you tend to, tend to linger on things too long. 
Um, but so what do these kind of stories do to you? What do they, what kind of reactions do they give you? Well, I think immediately of like the different roles that we've been blessed with as leaders and pastors is kind of what you just touched on. Like, I don't want these stories simply to resonate with me and then I move on or even to prompt me to do good things like pray or mm-hmm. grieve or lament that that's all important. But I, I want to always, always, always be mindful of what responsibility has been given to me to steward well. Yeah. And like you were saying, oh, as, a, as a pastor, is it wrong for me just to simply read these stories in a radio show and then move on when I've been entrusted to help care for and shepherd and instruct a community of people? And maybe mm. that becomes a part of our sermon writing or our liturgy or how, however you organize your space. And maybe you're listening like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm a radio show. Like, but maybe you have a family, maybe you have a small group. Maybe yeah. you're hearing these things and maybe, maybe a, a rhythm at your small group that needs to change is, Hey, let's pray for the church globally. And anyone can bring a story that they found that week, like carving out time or space to actually let some of these things hit us a little bit rather than like you were saying, it's a little ad hoc. Yeah. You know, like you just, ha- it just happened to be on Christian post. You're like, Oh, I guess we yeah. can talk about that yep. Ra- rather than saying, man, there's so much that we miss by keeping this myopic view of what the church is and what Christianity looks like. What if yeah. our group or our family or our church or our whatever it is, actually made intentional strides towards kind of help widening those blinders a little bit. And maybe it starts with having dialogue with people, seeking people out who have been missionaries who now live locally. We're yeah. in Chicagoland. There's literally hundreds of them. You can find them. Hundreds of organizations. To- totally. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you, is there a missionary that's on furlough that I could grab coffee with? I just yeah. want to get a better understanding of what it's like to have, you know, oh, how I can pray. So I think we could do all that this afternoon. Yeah. There's uh you've probably heard the stat. I'm going to try to get it right here, but I believe they often say, that the tw- that there were more people martyred for their faith worldwide in the 20th century than all other centuries combined. Hmm. And every time I heard that stat, and if I'm wrong about that, somebody sent it in, but I'm pretty confident I'm right in that. Every time I heard that stat, it wasn't like just being, it was almost like I literally can't get my mind around that. Right. Because it's just not our reality. And, and, and I think to be awoken to that reality, I think does play an importance of, of prayer, like you said, but also trying to think of ways, how can we as the, as the church here that isn't facing that support those who are and be creative. And I love your thing there about taking a missionary, someone from an organization out and, and try to get some, uh, some stuff from them, uh, some direction from them. And maybe we don't have the resources to, you know, support a missionary monthly, but what if you and your kids or the, the children from your children's ministry took a, took a Sunday made cards, you know, even, even encouragement like Mm -hmm. that, I think from churches in America, it's maybe even more profound if they're like not in your network and not in your denomination. Yeah. You just pick the family or a ministry and say, Hey, we're going to, we're just going to intentionally love on them. doesn't necessarily solve anything, but it at least shows like how, how many times have you felt at the bottom pit of despair yeah. and someone's like seemingly casual word of encouragement was like, Oh, that was all I needed. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. I think yeah. we could be that for other people too. That's a great point, man. So it's a hard story. Uh, we like to have a lot of laughs here, but every now and then I think it's good uh, to feel the weight of what's going on around the world that we don't see every day. Uh, so we'll post that story if we haven't already done so. And uh, love to see your reaction. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. 
when you do it two weeks in a row, it becomes a regular segment. That this song is, a is regular so bad, segment. though. The song. How often have you had it in your mind over the last week? Oh, I wake up most mornings <laughs> with it in my head. I've been singing. You know what really grass. Which no one needs. It's already a bad song. And then you <laughs> add me singing to it. It's even worse. I, my poor wife is like, what are you listening to? We know what grinds her gears. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's that song. So, so the point of this segment, we, we started it last week, uh, is uh, random things that just... <laughs> This is like our old man segment, right? Like this is... Uh, oh, like the two old guys in the Muppet balcony. Yes. What's their names? I don't know. The Muppets. They grind... No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't know, not, actually. No, don't. How dare you? My wife and I have had this conversation where I didn't really grow up watching the Muppets, and she did. So, what? Yeah. Oh. And so... Um, Statler and Waldorf. I, we could have sat here for three years, and I wouldn't have gotten that. No? Uh, I know who you're talking about. I don't know the names. But anyway, the yep. point of this is Ian and I kind of talking about things that really bug us, <laughs> that just bother us. And we would love for this to become interactive. So if you want to go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show uh, or on Twitter at Common Good Talk, we would love to hear the things that grind your gears as well. <laughs> and the pettier, the better, people. The, the pettier, the better. Wow. Did I tell you that uh, last week when we did this segment, I talked about the guy giving me uh, the double bird, the double middle finger on the, the highway? Bird, that's right. Uh, and someone brought it up to me at church. They're they like, did? did? they really do that? I'm like, you listen to Grind My Gears, yes. <laughs> so, We're going to rename the whole show Grind My Gears. I know. So anyway, uh, can I, I'm going to start because I've been ready for this. Yeah, I don't know that I have one, so go do, ahead. Do you want to know? Uh, you do, deep down. I know you do. I don't know. I'm I'm really losing steam on this. Really? Yeah. Is this just a two-segment, like, uh, we're, we're done after two weeks? Maybe I just need to get... More irritated at more things. Oh, I will. Uh, I, I can own that you one. Can ca- <laughs> I, can, I can carry this one for multiple segments. Okay, go ahead. First thing that grinds my gears, pumpkin. Okay. All, pu- all things pumpkin? I hate pumpkin flavored things. Oh, but not the actual thing pumpkin. No, I'm okay with pumpkins themselves. But, but like pumpkin spice but and like pumpkin. Okay. The, now the proliferation of like pumpkin stuff. Everything's got to be, now that we're like in the fall almost, uh, like everything has to have a pumpkin flavor and it started with Starbucks. Well, it didn't start with Starbucks, but they became the big deal. Like pumpkin yeah. spice, this and pumpkin spice that. And now everybody's doing pumpkin and I, uh, I don't like pumpkin pie. I don't oh, like pumpkin spice that's things. That's too bad. I don't like pumpkin cookies. Uh, I don't like pumpkin anything, uh, when it comes to food. And, and so now that like <laughs> pumpkin flavored things are kind of the rage, just starts to make me dislike the fall. I just feel sad for you right I now. Dis- it makes me dislike the fall. Like when I saw a commercial oh the other gosh. day that Starbucks was already coming out with their pumpkin spice latte or whatever it is, it made me it, it made me angry. It grinded my gears, <laughs> if you will. Are you a pumpkin ground, guy? Ground my gears. Ground ground my gears. Do you like pumpkin? Like, um, I mean, pumpkin pie, I do like. I'm not going to lie. The pumpkin spice latte thing is so over the top. Someone posted on my wall uh, pumpkin spice communion wafers. Do you see this? I saw it on your wall. Fall edition. Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's all right. That's pretty funny. That we've probably gone too far. I don't buy all the yeah all the Ray mostly just because it's too sure. But it, I fall, I love fall. There's so I shouldn't say it, it makes me hate fall. I love fall. I was going to say nothing can make me not love fall. I actually love fall. I hate pumpkin. I totally understand that. <laughs> all right, you got one. So I'm going to read two from our last week okay, all because right. I want to show that we actually read these comments. And if you comment, you could be on the show. Uh, the first one is from Chrissy Brown. And we asked, what grinds your gear? She said, people who don't pull over for emergency vehicles. Uh, my counter's being wet for no reason. Crumbs on <laughs> Yes, crum- I love that one. <laughs> yes. Crumbs on my floor. Okay. People who leave garbage behind at concerts, sporting events, movies, church services. Oh, guilty. That's a, 
No. Not church services, but I dump stuff. All I just leave my garbage at the games and stuff. That I totally believe because every time we leave the studio, I'm like, <laughs> Brad, are you going to throw this away? And he's like, you're not my mom. I'm like, well, just clean up your It's a true statement. You're not it's my mom. Tr- but I, I don't disagree. Guilty. That's Chrissy guilty. Browns. I thought that was a pretty good list. That's we also had uh, Danielle Hardesty. She said, oh boy, guess I'll go first. <laughs> Dirty, slimy cups, which uh, I, t- I don't even know what that means. Yep. Dirty, oh, it goes on. Dirty, slimy cups slash spice jars slash fridge handles interesting <laughs> like someone didn't clean their hands before handling them and then says my poor hubby <laughs> <laughs> that's good those i don't think i would have thought of any of those those are all yeah, pretty good, are good entries and then uh, good. and then my brother just said i love this <laughs> <laughs> we are going to a certain demographic and audience that's here. right he didn't actually comment any of his but i think he just likes the fact that like two pastors are going after yep. this because he's yep. he's been a long time believer. Just speak your mind. What speak what do what's your pet peeve? What grinds your gears? Which I guess is maybe why he loves this. Yep, yep. So do you have one? Because if not, I got another. Oh yeah, go ahead. I don't. I can't think of one. Tupperware. Just in general, the where it is in my house. <laughs> this is such a specific so gear. Let me describe my home in my kitchen. Uh, right above our microwave is up high. I'm short. For those of you who've never seen me. Uh, so you, you're I short can, even if they haven't seen you. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> your height doesn't fluctuate based on so your visibility. I have, to, I have to reach way up, and above our microwave is where we've stuffed all the Tupperware, mm-hmm. and you can't open it without one. It's like I can't figure it out because it's like the cabinet is on a slope. <laughs> because Tupperware will fall out whenever you open it, and it'll like hit you, and it's the most infuriating thing. And my wife will go through and clean it, and we'll we'll organize it and fix it, and then you open it again, and it's like there's something in there pushing the Tupperware out on you. <laughs> this is such a fixable problem, Brian. Just get less Tupperware. Shit, my wife did throw out like half our Tupperware, but it's I don't know. It's like a it's trick. Just, it's cabinet. replicating in there. It's it's multiplying. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> actually hate Tupperware. I hate my Tupperware. What if it's Tupperware holding? Pumpkin products. Oh, burn it. Burn, burn everything to the ground. Yes. <laughs> and also, I don't know what Tupperware can go in the microwave and what can't. I do I do just have to say, like 16-year-old punk Rockian right now yep. is just losing his mind that this is what we're talking about. You know what? Tupperware above my microwave <laughs> keeps falling on my head in my suburban home. It does. But I get it. I, and that's kind of the nature of the segment, right? We're yep. sort of, I mean, I think, what, what was mine last week? People that don't use their turn signal. That one's maybe a little more serious. Yep. But mo- most of the stuff, maybe that's the big moral lesson of this whole segment, yeah. is that we all have little tiny stuff that drives us crazy that, you know, seems like insignificant to almost anybody else. But for us, it's like, oh, if this, ha- like, I'm sure you're thinking, if this falls on my head one more time. And it does. I'm jumping out of a window. I, I can't. So PJ, producer John, he is pointing to himself. He's got one. He's ready. He's ready to rage I'm right shocked. now. It's very specific. You know, uh, I, I mean, yes. Is, so, it t- is it Tupperware specific? <laughs> no, it's, el- it's elevator specific. So oh, when you step oh, elevator, elevator, elevator part two. Yeah. So, I think it's like part five. <laughs> and you're standing there and you're, you're the only one. So you don't have to wait for anybody. You push the door close button. How long the elevator takes to close the doors after you push the door close button. It's very specific. It's like, are you sure you want to close the door? That's basically what the elevator's asking. Yeah. For some reason, that just bugs me. It's like, come on. John, you got to take a yoga class or something, man. That is, <laughs> that is not that big of a deal. It's a, it's a huge deal, It's not. Man. Life it's, is it's too short. Four You're, or five seconds, I could get back. You just became old enough to rent a car. Just <laughs> bask in that glory. Have and, you ever rented a car? I've never rented a car. Oh, it's glorious. Oh. It's so fun. It is like one of the most adult things you can do. You're like, can oh, we I'm do rent a car. an on-location, common good car rental episode? Can you, yeah, we want, we go rent a car this weekend. 
Okay. Do it. And then, uh, Preferably a convertible. Yep. Ian will pay for it. And, <laughs> and Mar- Marcus that's has my card right now, now, so just go to him. That is yeah. over the airwaves. It's on the record. Ian's I don't think that's how it. law works. So, <laughs> so go to our Facebook page. We would like to know more of what grinds your gears. This segment might do it, and, that, and therefore this, this would be the last time. Uh, but now, in my mind, see, I'm older and I'm crankier, so I've got I've got things just ready to go. So uh, we would love to hear more of the things that grind your gears. Anyway, for Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You know what really grinds my gears? How are you, friends? (laughs) Welcome back to The Common Good. I love this song. Yours, that just sounded like you were tired of your friends. Oh, really? Like, how are you, friends? Oh, man. Why are you in my living room? I don't do sultry well, apparently. <laughs> no, no, I, I listened back to the podcast. You did one super sultry. Oh, good. I got Like you were wearing a silk shirt or something and <laughs> Again. the wind was, yeah, right, under your hoodie. <laughs> right now I'm wearing a collar under my hoodie right now because I was Whoa, cold in here. Oh, fancy pants. Yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, welcome to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ian Simpkins, Brian Fromm here. It is a Friday. We're glad that you are joining us. Hope you've got big plans for uh, the weekend. You know, one thing that's really kicking into gear this weekend is college football. Are you a college football fan? I am a moderate fan. University of Michigan? Yeah. Okay. Not so, state. Not, not state. state. Which, by the way, I just read that Sasha Obama is going to University of Michigan. I did read that today. Isn't that crazy? Yes, that is, that is pretty cool. What is that going to be like for her, by the way? Does she get security? Doesn't she have to? But I don't know how that works with the dorm. Yeah. Like, how the heck? I don't know how that works. That's a great question. I don't know. How weird must maybe, that be for an 18, Maybe it doesn't year old. continue for the kids. Because like ah. the Bush kids, the girls, I mean, they're married. They've got families. They've got jobs. I don't, I doubt they're being followed around. I've never even thought about this. Me neither. Now this is like Chelsea Clinton still. I wouldn't think so. Hey, PJ, can you call up the Obamas real quick? <laughs> Ask him how college is going to work. Hey, how's the college thing going to work? How's that going to work? So Michigan, <laughs> uh, is it, uh, is it. Evenly split between Michigan and Michigan State, or is like in the one state that of Michigan is one the big brother and one the little brother? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's pretty evenly split. Okay. It's pretty region specific. You know, when I was sixteen, um, I got a job with a pack and ship company in Ann Arbor doing the student move in and student move out no of way. the University of Michigan, driving this huge truck, working long hours. So, like, really early on, a lot of my family is in Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area. So, like, at least. At 16, it was more anecdotal that yep. I liked U of M, yep. but then I kind of, my brother uh, coaches rugby there, and I have no a number, number of friends that went to school there, and yeah. Coaches yeah. rugby in the Big Ten, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Uh-huh. That's he's, awesome. He's very, very good. Well, anyway, speaking of college football, the number one team in the nation, the defending national champions are the Clemson Tigers, mm-hmm. and Clemson is coached by Dabo Sweeney, and Dabo Sweeney is a very uh, outspoken believer, and uh, a lot of people love him for that, a lot of people don't. Uh, so he said something very interesting uh, in a press conference that was floating around that I wanted to just read it. And uh, I think it touches on some interesting topics for us. He says this. Uh, he said, my word is purpose this year. My purpose as a man, my purpose as a father, my purpose as a husband, and then our purpose as a program. And then also helping my staff and my players find and fulfill their purpose. I'm just really convicted on that. He said, we've had a lot of success. I'm going into year 11, uh, but we've stayed true to who we are the whole way. I know what my purpose as a man is, and that's to glorify God. That's to be a great husband and father, and it's to use the game of football to equip young people for life. That's uh, just that simple. 
Uh, our purpose as a program is to graduate our players and to give them the tools that they need to go to be successful, to make sure that they have a good experience and win and to win a championship. He said, uh, and he referenced last year's senior class and it's 97% job placement rate. Mm. And that has not changed since day one. Everything is centered and driven uh, by that. And it goes on to say that following last year's national championship victory, he told a national audience for me personally, joy comes from focusing on Jesus others and yourself. So really kind of interesting. This is like him and Nick Saban. They're the two biggest football coaches in the country right now, college, right. college football right. coaches. Uh, and so this kind of platform, um, it's kind of impressive the way he embraces it and the way he seems at least to be by his words, staying kind of true to how he started. And, and even in the midst of success saying, no, this is why I do it. Is there any part of you that thinks, uh, Athletics is more likely to have people like this outspoken about their faith than other like spotlight professions. Possibly. I think someone like him, uh, you're, you've got some rope and some latitude as long as you're winning. Like I think athletics is such a win or lose. It's very blatant whether you're good or not. Yeah, that's true. That uh, I doubt even if you are not a big fan of all of his God talk, that if as long as he keeps winning and you're a Clemson fan, you probably just roll your eyes like, all right, coach. But scoreboard, keep going, right? Keep yeah, going. right. Uh, whereas other jobs where it's a little more nebulous, it's probably like, mm. oh, I don't, I don't like how you're doing that. And so I would guess you probably have a little more rope. What about like uh, you remember when you're not a boxing guy, are you? I like boxing. Vander Holyfield, remember when yes. he was really exploding on the scene and he was really outspoken. I remember yep. people being really divided about that. Like even even as a kid, thinking, I, I remember hearing a lot of people say. You're being really outspoken about a nonviolent faith, and you, you've literally dedicated yourself to a violent profession. Yes. And some, you know, I, I don't think football's in the same category at all, but, like, I wonder if people, I'm literally just spitballing off the top of my dome, but I know there's a lot of stuff that we've been reading lately about some of the, the some of the dangers of football, and, uh, you know, we have Andrew Luck in the, in the rear view from earlier this week, and people being really divided even on his response to retire, and I think, yeah. do you think there's any sense of divide among evangelicals that find difficulty with people being outspoken about their faith? Like, is that, is that a thing that like in, fo- in specifically in football? Yeah. Maybe that's a two part question in football or in general. I don't think so. I think evangelicals, most evangelicals, uh, kind of cheer it on. They enjoy it. Like, Hey, he's on our team kind of yeah, deal. Right. Uh, football. I don't think we've gotten that part societally with football yet where people, I still think football's a lot, what I hear a lot of people say, especially with kids that are getting older, a little son that's getting older, is like, uh, I'm not going to let my kid play football, but if you want to, totally yeah, get it, right, go right. for it. So I think it's there. I did want to uh, focus on this word, uh, purpose. So we've got Rick Warren uh, on our station. You know, he, he He's like Mr. Purpose, right? Uh, he's Mr. Purpose? So the number of times he says, Dabo Sweeney says, my word is purpose, 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 purpose. Uh, is that a word that you use a lot and enjoy, or is it a word that you think is overused? Um, where do your thoughts on just kind of purpose? Is that something that if I were to go to uh, sit under your teaching for a while, I'd hear a lot about? It's actually not a word that I think I'm naturally like inclined towards in terms yeah. of vocabulary. But you know, like we've talked before, our, all our teaching is done collaboratively. Yep. And Dave and John actually do, I think, a really good job of keeping purpose out in front. That okay. often when we're talking about like in their book, Finding Way Back to God, we talk about these longings and purpose is definitely tied into that. Like we're all longing for purpose, which is strange because I totally believe that. Yeah. And in my preaching style, and I'm sure you felt this too, like, oh, I don't know that I 
go there as often as maybe I should. It's like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about that uh, resident we had from Africa who was saying, yeah. who was kind of shocked by, well, you guys really avoid talking about God's power. Mm. You talk about his presence a lot because I think you feel lonely, but we talk about God's power because we often feel so powerless. And I thought, I wonder if there's something to that. Like, why don't I speak to purpose very often? Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it doesn't seem like a felt need at times. And I totally know that it is. But yeah. I don't know. Is that something that shows up a lot in your teaching? It's not. Really? It's not. And it tends to be more tangential, like you said. Like, oh, and remember, your purpose is to do, you know. Oh, and, right, right, right. Uh, is it because you figured out yours and it feels like. I think sometimes I assume it, right? Like, oh, we all know our purpose. You know, like, oh, it's to glorify God. You know, the old Westminster Catechism, right? It's to enjoy, enjoy God and uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever, that's right? right? That's, that's our right. purpose. Yep. You see, I pulled that off the top of my head. I, I lost Way that there go. for a second. You got it. I saw the, I saw the panic you in your eyes. You saw the fear in my eyes. You're like, Google, 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 Google. Now, now, now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I don't think it's it's something I talk a ton about, but there's clearly a felt need to it. Uh, Rick Warren sold a lot of books talking about yeah. the purpose-driven life. One more thing strikes me in this story. I'm kind of all over the board here, but uh, Dabo Sweeney uh, has a platform because he, he is at the top of his profession. And I do feel uh-huh. like there's something to be said about um, doing your profession really well. Yeah. And, and that opening doors that might not, if he was like a really bad coach or just this, that he might not have had. <laughs> right. I think there are some doors that have opened because he's really good football coach. And I think other people maybe are even more receptive, especially if like for you, the highest aim is excellence yeah. in your, let's say you've been resistant to the gospel. You see someone who's at the top of his game thinking, okay, if this guy who cares about execution and excellence yeah. still finds Jesus to be viable, maybe I can give him a shot. That's yep. that's where I think utilizing your platform, whatever it might be, whatever your context is, is really valuable because not everyone resonates with the same type of person. Yep, I totally agree. I'd love to be able to spend some time in his program, just follow him around. It That'd seems really cool. fascinating. I would love uh, to do that. Well, hope you enjoy the football kicking off this weekend. We'd love your responses to these at Facebook at The Common Good radio show. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. It's 5 o'clock hour, and uh, hopefully you're heading home for the weekend. We're glad that you're spending some time with us. Uh, You can continue the conversation at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good good talk also the podcast some of you might be listening to the podcast even right now thank you for doing that you can subscribe rate review uh, that helps us and we're excited to have you uh, listening today well i was on twitter last night and you ever you have that when you're on twitter or whatever and all of a sudden you realize wow all sorts of people are tweeting about the same thing Mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes it's huge news you know it might be about something president trump said or something else maybe a sports game where i follow all these different you know right people writing about the mets uh but but last night, all the kind of like Christian pastors and authors were all kind of weighing in on a on a tweet <laughs> uh, that was sent out by Albert Moeller. So Albert Moeller, well-known in the Christian world, pastor, was president, I believe, of what Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, That's I believe. Right. Yep. Um, and so uh, he sent out a tweet 
that Jonathan Merritt talked about, Sky Jatani, uh, Michael Frost, some others were now discussing it. It became kind of a brouhaha. So uh, love for you to read it. And, uh, and I then, bet you would, wouldn't you? And then, and then we could talk about it a little bit. This is from Albert Moeller's uh, Twitter account. Okay, so he posted an image that linked to something longer, for the record, but I'm just yep. going to read the image, and I'm not going to get... His own words, though. They're his words, yes. exactly. This was on uh, August 27th. He said, Americans are basically, by the millions, giving up on the fact that to be human is to be a parent, eventually to take on that responsibility to get married and have children, to take on the responsibility of passing on civilization itself. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Like, I I would love to know what was behind that. Okay. And again, that's some more in there because, again, we've often talked how Twitter is, you can lose context and nuance, but he's the one who chose those words of his own words, right? That's true. It's hard to take yourself out of context. Uh, I think that, um, hmm, (laughs) as somebody who got married young and had kids young, so that's me. Yeah. Uh, I think that in the American church, there can be an idolatry to marriage and kids and family that uh, that can really alienate people who either don't want to get married or have just never gotten married or unable to have children. And that's a lot of what the discussion was like, really, like the chief end you're kind of pointing to is uh, is marriage and procreation like that's kind of well, what about the people who can't have kids? What about the people who don't get married? What about the people? And the list went on and on and on. My guess is he was fighting against uh, even some of the stats we read earlier this week about how millennials uh, are less interested in having children. Yeah. Are more self. My guess is that that's what this was speaking towards. I just think this exact phrase that he chose to put on his Twitter account Mm -hmm. sends a dangerous message. It kind of makes something that's important ultimate. And when you do that, that's really dangerous. Well, so you mentioned uh, Sky. He actually tweeted a response to it. And he said, this is a perfect example of what happens when we lose the theology of vocation, when we fail to recognize how God calls his people to different works. We universalize one calling for all and diminish the value of those who do not conform. Not everyone is called to marriage slash parenting, which I actually really agree with. I I realize that there's a lot of great doctrine about the significance of marriage and parenting, uh, but you just can't get around the fact of people like... Jesus, mm. the Apostle Paul. Yes. And we so often in a Western context, I think we treat singleness like the junior varsity to the varsity of marriage. Yes. And the best advice that so often Western evangelicalism has to single people is mm. just hang on. Yep. It creates this like waiting room mentality that you just stay here. And then once you're married, then you can, you know, play in the big leagues and then you can really be fully a part of what it means to be human and not to mention fully a part of our church. So often we, I don't think we're doing this intentionally, but even look at like our programming, like here's our ministry for junior hires and for high schoolers and college and then young families and middle. And then to anyone who's in their twenties, not married is like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to us? Yep. And there might be a young singles group, but it's so all of you have some, like you go together. Right, right. And it does sometimes get a little relegated, right? Which, let's be honest, oftentimes singles ministries and churches uh, get treated a little bit more like dating circles. No doubt. Which some are super excited about. Some are less than excited about. And I I found the statistic that 100 years ago, um, 90% of the adult population in America was married. But today, it's nearly 50%. So just in the course of a century, we're seeing, we're seeing a demographical shift yeah. of proportions that I don't think we've ever really seen before. And the other thing that I think gets included in that then is we make the emphasis on 
this obsession with finding the one yeah. rather than like just like learning who God is calling you to be the yeah. formation, the sanctification, the work that God wants to do in you and also yeah. through you. And when we create, I think what Mueller is saying, this idea that until you get this dangling carrot, you're not, you're not really fulfilling your purpose or your vocation. I think, uh, I think sky's right on there. Yeah. I think uh, again, we're having to climb into his mind, but again, it's important to realize that Mueller chose his own words to put uh-huh. here. Like That's this right. wasn't somebody else quoting him or something. Uh, it's just hard when you read the fact that to be a human is to be a parent. Uh, I, I think he's probably railing against, like we said, some of the shifts he sees culturally. Uh, but in railing against it, he's making a huge statement. Jonathan Merritt uh, wrote this on his Twitter. Now, Jonathan Merritt, a phenomenal author. I'd call him, what, a progressive Christian, more on the progressive end. Sure. Uh, uh, not married. Uh, and, uh, and no kids. So he said this, if quote, to be human is to be a parent, then those who cannot have children don't feel called to parenthood or die before they get a chance must be less than human. Hmm. Worse. It calls into question whether a childless Jesus was actually fully human. Hmm. And then he writes hard pass. Hmm. Uh, again, my guess is I haven't seen any sort of explanation from Mueller. My, I, I would hope that he could get into some of the nuance here a little bit. Um, but you've talked, um, you were single until young thirties, yeah, young thirties, yep. which to most of our country increasingly is like normal right to the church world. Less acknowledge is not right. Especially being a pastor. Uh-huh. Uh, people probably looked at you like, well, when are you getting the pastor's <laughs> wife? Right? Like when is this happening? And you've spoken to this before, but what were just your own interactions with the church as you were mid twenties, 30 years old, I'm guessing you got comments and it was uh-huh. probably a little bit of a weird thing to be a part of. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably where it's why I got invited, I think to speak places about singleness, oh. which even that started to give me a complex, like, wait a minute, is this the only thing that I'm qualified to speak to? But one of the things that I remember hearing or I read or something, you know, hearkening back to Genesis where it says in Genesis, the two become one, not the halves become whole. Yeah. You're not half a person until you become married, until you've achieved this. Right. And if anyone should completely obliterate the idea that you're somehow not usable by God, it should be Jesus, the Apostle Paul. And I think that's kind of why I became really passionate about it, because I remember sitting in pews and churches feeling really like outside the loop and maybe Maybe that wasn't intentional. I think yeah. that's kind of my point. Be more intentional churches about pursuing and loving and welcoming into the fold single yeah. people, yeah. people without kids. Because even think about what we tend to celebrate most online. It's yeah. marriages and babies, which is great. Yeah. Keep doing that. We need to also elevate. I finished my degree. I yeah. bought my first house. Like that kind of stuff. There are a couple of quotes that I found really interesting. If you'll give me a second, I want to yeah, read go them. Ahead. Um, so the first comes from... Uh, Jeremy Burroughs. I don't know if you know Jeremy Burroughs. I don't. He's a, uh, I think he's a Puritan preacher and an English congregationalist, something like that. He said, my brethren, the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world is not that you do not have enough of them. The reason that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Mm. This idea that like a spouse will complete me and give me yep. a purpose, right? Yep. Or I also, uh, Rena Taylor, who is this missionary to Kenya, and she's a single woman. She said, being single has meant that I'm free to take risks that I might not take where I am mother of a family dependent on me yeah. being single has given me freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought to me moments that I would not trade for anything else. This side of eternity That's really good, which I think is fantastic. And then lastly, I'll read this one, Richard Phillips. I uh, said, if you cannot be contented in singleness, you will not be contented in marriage. 
No one person can be the source of your contentment. Contentment comes only from God. And the sooner we start seeking it in him, the better off we will all be. And so I would give good. that challenge to single people, to married, married people, people, to divorced people, to people grieving and people rejoicing. Yes. And I just think we need to we need to start there first. That's a really good word. I'll give one more. Uh, Jonathan Merritt, who we quoted earlier, he tweeted something probably a month or two ago that went viral in mm-hmm. the Christian world again. Uh, a picture of him with uh, some friends who are married and their kids. And he said, you do not understand how important it is to us single people when married people just in, invite us into their family 100%. activities, not to big stuff, but like, hey, we're going to grab ice cream. Why don't you come with just us? Just be a part of it. Not as a pity thing, but as a friend. And I was like, man, that's really kind of being the body of Christ right there. Totally. That's really good. Well, coming up next, we're going to discuss an article out of Christianity Today called In an, In an Epidemic of Isolation relational ministry isn't enough. We're going to talk to the author uh, of that article coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And uh, Ian, I was reading through Online at Christianity Christianity Today dot com. I was praying for you. Thank you. I always get it wrong. And uh, came across an article that I thought you and I would just talk about. And then I I saw who wrote it. And I'm like, man, he's local. Let's just give him a call. The article is called In an Epidemic of Isolation, Relational Ministry Isn't Enough. enough." And it was written by Dan Colwyn, uh, the director of trips at Leader Trek's Youth Ministry, which is a discipleship and leadership development organization. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, uh, of course. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, So this article... Uh, I'm sure at Leader Treks, you deal with students all the time. So I'm, I'm at first here interested in what you're calling kind of an epidemic of isolation. Can you talk about that, about this generation and, and, and how they're becoming increasingly isolated? Yeah, well, I mean, th- think through the, the very fact that anytime you see a teenager, you, you, most of the time you're not actually even seeing their eyes, right? <laughs> right. They're always pointed down yeah. at their phones. I mean, uh, this is the generation of social media, even more than uh, this previous generation. Mm-hmm. So Generation Z, more than anybody else, is they're completely immersed in a digital environment almost entirely throughout their day. Hmm. So that is, it, it sets itself perfectly up for an isolate, a, a life of isolation. So one of the things that I appreciate about this headline so much, Brian and I were talking before we went live, was that when you said, and this is maybe really the purpose of a headline, relational ministry isn't enough. He and I are both like, oh man, we probably would say that's enough. That's often sort of our counterbalance in an age of isolationism, whether you're a teen or an adult. So talk to me a little bit more about, okay, so if relational ministry isn't enough, what, what could be or should be our aim? Yeah, well, and that's obviously the entire purpose of the article. Right. <laughs> the whole idea that, okay, well, if we have students who are more isolated than ever before in their lives, that means that they are probably craving relationship. Hmm. And so the best way to bring them out of isolation is through relationship. And that is the end-all, be-all then for our youth ministries now hmm. moving forward. We counter isolation by being relational. Hmm. And, and I deal with this all the time with, with youth pastors who um, they're, they're talking through this whole problem. They see it all the time with their students, and right. they're like, I just got to train my adults to be more relational, to, to be in relationship with students, to have friendships, hang out with them, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a youth ministry that is full 
of organic <laughs> relationships. Mm. And whenever like those kind of words get used with me, I'm always like, okay, that that's a cover for, um, <laughs> we're lazy and we're not intentional. <laughs> that's good. Uh, that, that was me as a youth pastor. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. No, I apologize. That's good. But, um, the, the truth is, is like, relationships aren't enough. Mm. And, and we get focused too often on these, these easy answers of, well, if they're isolated, let's be relational. Well, if we're going to bring in students because they see wrongs going on in the world and social justice is going to bring them into our youth ministries, let's be a social justice focused youth ministry. Like that was my time in college. Mm. That was what we were all about. The problem with that is that ultimately if the end goal is relationships, it's not getting them to Jesus. Mm. Gotcha. So then talk to us. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Go ahead. Well, and so, so that's all, like the whole idea within the article is, is do you want to have relationships with students? Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be morons if, if we didn't you right. know, go that route yeah. and we didn't train adults how to have relationships with students. But if ultimately our focus is not helping them understand who Christ is and who they are in light of Christ and yeah. his relationship with them, we're really not helping them. We're, we're, yeah. we're being friends, which is great, but our end goal should be discipleship. Mm. So let's ask the $64,000 question there. Cause I, I'm really resonating with what you say. And I look back at my own youth ministry years. I'm like, yeah, I kind of did stop at relationship a lot of way. That was kind of the ultimate goal. But if discipleship is the ultimate goal, how do you do that effectively, uh, particularly uh, to this Generation Z, this generation of isolated uh, teenagers? Well, that's what's so great about it, okay, is that they are isolated, but they also do crave relationships. Hmm. So relational ministry should be used. Of course it should be used. It just shouldn't be the end-all, be-all. We shouldn't be defining success in our ministries by we have so many relationships. It's great. It should be like, no, no, no. Like we want relationships with students. They just should be relationships, which are then moving towards discipleship. Mm -hmm. Right. So students, and I talk about this in the article, they're not opposed to being in relationships with adults. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's amazing. Like you go to a kid today and you're like, Hey, do you, do you want to spend time together? And sure. Yeah. Okay. What, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I hadn't gotten that far in my own thought process. Uh, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to go right. see a movie? You want to play a video game? Sure. But then where's the relationship going? I mean, I, I had uh, a few guys, you know, this past year who I, I and I talked about this in the article, like I, I, I noticed they weren't showing up as much at youth group. And I'm like, I really want to dig into these guys. And so I just flat out asked them like, Hey, would you guys be interested? Could you find a night in your calendar? Maybe every couple weeks where you would just come over to my house. We'll play some video video games, but I also want to like, I want to dive into scripture with you. I want to mm. talk through like, what does our faith look like as we're living these things out that Christ is talking about? You know what they all said to me? Uh, yeah, Tuesday works. <laughs> no kidding. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like they, none of them said no to it. And yeah. they were the cool guys that were skipping youth group. Right. Like, no, yeah. No, yeah. Let's, let's read the Bible. Awesome. Let's talk through this. So you, you actually mentioned this idea of it's not necessarily organic, which I think is a really good challenge. And in it, you outline four specific questions, the same questions that you keep going after, which I would love for you to talk a little bit about, because I imagine people listening are thinking, OK, you've convinced me I'm in. 
how? Like, how do I do this? Give me some practical tools or a starting point. And I think those four questions are, uh, are really, really good. I can read them or I'd love, I'd love for you to read them or elaborate on them. I just think they're really fascinating. Yeah, of course. And this is just something I put together when um, <laughs> I, went, I went to, he was, I think, in eighth grade at the time. And I'm like, hey, w- you know, John, would you want to start meeting with me weekly? Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, get together at a coffee shop and, and let's meet together. And he immediately is like, that would be great. <laughs> and then his parents come to me and they're like, Hey, cool. So you want to meet with our son. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. A fair and question. that's when I got hit. Yeah. Right. It's totally fair. Like, so you're going to hang out with my kid. Cool. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> and I, I get, you know, hit in the face with, wait, you mean just your kid hanging out with me isn't enough? Mm. No, of course it's not. Like, I I want you to be intentional with my son, you know? And so I had to sit down and think through, well, what what do I want to see take place in his life? And so these questions, they're not not magical. They were things that I came up with just to help him, and Hmm. I I created them just for him personally. It's not necessarily that these are the questions I would use with – every single kid out there. Okay. But it was an adaptation off of, you know how you often have small groups and yeah, like, yeah. all right, high, low, what was, what's your high this week? What's your low this week? Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. let me go a little bit deeper. So, you know, the first question I ask is what's the best thing that's happened to you since we last met? Second is what's the worst thing yeah. that has happened to you since we last met? The third question is what, what is one risk that you've taken? Hmm. Something that is, getting you outside of your comfort zone. And then what is one thing that you've done to serve someone else? Mm. And these questions, again, you know, the first two are just super general. Let's, let's talk about like, what's been going great in your life. What, what has been, you know, horrible, like what stinks, Mm. what what wasn't great. And then it was, you know, two more questions that were helping get to, well, where do I want to see him grow? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, so much within high school, it's about playing it safe. And so I'm like, all right, I want, I want him, I want him to have this idea. Well, what are risks that I can take? How can I get out of my own comfort zone? And and I want him to think through that all the time. And then at the same time, you know, you're safe, but you can also be cocky, especially as a high school guy. (laughs) It's like, well, how do I help foster humility in this kid's life? And okay, well, what are, what are things that you can be looking towards being intentional, thinking ahead of time? How can I serve other people? It's good. And so we start off our time with those questions and then we dive into scripture, you know, the book we're going through all sorts of different things, but it helps him know an expectation coming in. Hey, this is what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and then it, you know, there's a variety too. That's great. Dan, thank you so much. As, uh, as we looked at this article, it both, it got us both pretty excited. And so, uh, keep doing what you're doing with students. Again, if you want to read the article, it's at christianitytoday.com. It's called an epidemic of isolation. Relational ministry isn't enough. Dan Colwin, uh, uh, from leader treks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, man. That was awesome. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us uh, on this Friday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Anything we've talked about in the show today and uh, 
even some more stuff. Like the other day, you went and posted an article about Alex Trebek and all these people are like, that's awesome. Best thing I've read all day. <laughs> that's and true. So uh, you can find those also on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you find podcasts. Go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, share it with a friend. Share it with a friend. Uh Share it with two friends. Mm. Give it to them for Christmas. Start a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> if you find five friends and they find five friends. We'll give you a mug. <laughs> I mean, I'd give them a mug. Shoot. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's, those are all the spots you can find us. And uh, we lo- we're thankful for those of you who interact with us, uh, even when the show is not on. Uh, so anyway, Christianity Today. How many articles am I going to choose from there today where I have to say Christianity Today? Is there a code that you could do? Just CT? Probably CT, but then... I wonder if you go to ct.com, do you come to that or do you come to something ct.com? I'm doing it right now. All right, what do you come to? This is great radio. Coin Telegraph, the future of money. Is that really what Portugal it is? tax authority, Bitcoin trading and payments are tax free. Yeah, maybe don't send nope, them to go CT. Go to christianitytoday.com. <laughs> you're welcome for the free press, Coin Telegraph. But if you're interested in Bitcoin, maybe go to ct.com. Uh, we will not be reading any of their articles. No, we will not. No, although you do find them from weird spots. So That's true. At christianitytoday.com, uh Jeff Christofferson, uh Jeff Christofferson uh, is a church planter, a pastor, an author, and a missiologist at the Send Institute, which deals with church planting and evangelism, uh, wrote this article, Four Investments That Lead to Missional Power. You know, I played bass in Missional Power. <laughs> <laughs> the moment you stop laughing at that joke, I'll stop making it, but you laugh every time. Well, then you're going to do that joke <laughs> all the time. I am here for that. And uh, that's funny. That's funny. So let me uh, let me read a little bit of this. He says, people make investments constantly when they go to ct.com. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Not only financial investments, all of life oh, is gosh. an investment. We invest time, energy, passion, mental space in the things and people we love. Whatever we prioritize is highlighted with fluorescent colors in the investments that we choose to make. Football masterfully illustrates this reality. Around North America, people invest massive time, energy, and resources into their favorite team. Guilty. Our practices follow our passions. The same reality should be demonstrated in disciple-making as well. If Jesus is the true God who's worthy of worship of all people... And if the way people will know this truth is through the testimony of kingdom disciples, then an evangelistic passion should naturally characterize God's people. Hmm. The priorities of our lives should be marked by evangelistic investments. But how are these investments made? Many of us are missionally stuck and our disciple making passion has leaked out long ago. We want to be faithful, but we now all have little internal orientation. Here's some good news. Jesus gives us a masterclass on missionary living through his own example. So he's going to go to John chapter four and speak of four necessary strategic investments. He's going to give us four investments that kind of light that missional fire and kind of give some evangelistic, uh, not just passion, but effectiveness. So why don't you start us off? I think I'm going to like this. All too. right. Number I think one, this is right up your alley. My alley. I accept. I like having an alley. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at everything today. I know it's okay. It's Friday. Invest intentionally. First, Jesus has a clear plan. He culturally veered light years out of the way to enter Samaria, a path that was unheard of for respectable Jews of his day. From there, he was intentional to head to a hub of activity. The local well was a third place where Jesus could do more than simply satisfy his personal thirst, but could spiritually engage with those who came by. The notorious Samaritan woman couldn't miss him. 
Though she was trying to avoid any uncomfortable social interaction, she was now destined to have a deeply personal encounter with the Jewish rabbi about her sinful past. The teacher enters into an extensive and meaningful conversation with his with this social outcast, listening to her and pressing her to go deeper. Clearly, Jesus' short mission on earth required a focused ministry plan, yet nothing seemed to matter more in this moment than this one precious broken mm, woman. That's, that's good. good. That's good. Number two. Uh, invest in people's story. And obviously this is all coming up. We said John chapter four, we should say this is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah, great story. Invest in people's story. Jesus was not caught off guard by the Samaritan woman's past. Her sin defined her cultural identity, but it did not hinder Jesus from treating her as a cherished person. Mm. He entered into her story and modeled genuine care. It's clear from the story and the woman's subsequent response that she truly believed that Jesus esteemed her as a person of value. As Jesus entered into the Samaritan woman's story, he became part of its plot line and the very point of her life story's trajectory uh, trajectory change. Our challenge is the same. We interact with many broken, wounded people who need more from the church than a sacred rendition of seven, seven habits for a successful living. They need someone to enter their story, grieve with them in their pain, and help them follow the spiritual breadcrumbs in their lives to their source, Jesus Christ. When people know that we genuinely care, they are far more interested in the good news that we have to share. Caring often means deviating from our sterile script and daring to enter into the uncharted territory of complicated message, messages, uh, messages, and aching souls. Number three, invest differently. The master class of Jesus' missional investments demonstrates that grace and truth can be held whole together and unimpaired. This grace, uh, this isn't grace moderated by truth, nor is it truth balanced by grace. It is grace and truth fully expressed and wholly uncompromised. It's both seeker sensitive and God glorifying all at once without one diminishing the other. Jesus met the Samaritan woman where she was, but he didn't leave her there. He said difficult things, but he wasn't unkind. Grace and truth provoked her to work through the wounds of her painful past in order to embrace a life-giving future in Jesus. And number four, invest with power. Jesus's encounter uh, demonstrated his reliance on the power of his father. Jesus himself was the power of God bundled in human flesh, yet he voluntarily abandoned his heavenly status as he remained in constant connection to his divine source. He knew that his father's power would flow uh, muscularly through this interaction. He knew that the years of sinful bondage that imprisoned this Samaritan woman could not be broken without the power of God. This was not a superficial battle. It never is. And then he asks, do we understand our need for the same power? All of those who are in Christ have the spirit of God dwelling inside us uh, and encounters with bold confidence, believing that God wants the lost to be saved, the broken healed and the wounded restored his kingdom uh, come. That's powerful. Yeah, that's really good. I think the story, I love preaching this passage too. I've done it so many times and there's so many different angles over the years that I've taken, but I think every time I come back to it, I think Jesus is showing us over and over again that people are always more important than projects, oh, that's good. which is hard because I'm drawn to projects. Yeah. There's like a beginning, middle, end. Mm-hmm. We can measure. We can even do great things like rally a team around. We can point to the potential benefits of the project or the completion of this project. But anytime that we steamroll, we miss the humanity of what we're doing and we can do it all in the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like you're a church planner. You get this. Like sometimes stuff is couched in such churchy language that we know at our core, like, Oh man, this is, this is going to be at the detriment of our ability to care for people. Well, and I think anytime we do that, 
We should at least give pause. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, this story is so powerful also because of the scandal of it. Yeah, right. Like people would have looked at Jesus, right? And been like, what? What are you doing? What a bizarre move on his part. What are you doing in this interaction? uh, You know, and so they do make He does make a good point in here that our priorities follow our passions. And so I do think Hmm. part of the purpose of this article is to say, do you have even a passion to grow as as uh, in this kind of missional living, to see other people come to know Jesus, uh, to use your guys' uh, terminology, right? to help people uh, find their way back to God. Do, you, do we even have this in our gut at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say in the minute or so that we have left? If someone's out there going, nope, I don't really have much fire burning in there. Uh, I'm not really, I don't really care. What is one or two things that will kind of, that can engage that? I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to pray, to ask God to give you the fire. Yeah. I think so often we assume if I just don't have it, then it's not there. Yeah. And if it's even like you were saying, maybe someone not only doesn't have the fire, they don't have a desire to have the fire. Mm. Pray for that. Like yeah. I really honestly open the gospels, look at the life of Jesus and ask, am I still content? Yeah. Saying, raising a hand, saying I'm a Christ follower. I just don't really care about people. Yeah. I don't really I would recommend, if I could make a recommendation, Hugh Halter's Tangible Kingdom. I don't know if you've read that before. I have. It it's is great. exceptional if you want. Like, Only if you want to be challenged. <laughs> you'd be super challenged, but it's so practical. Accessible, Accessible yes. is the perfect yes. word for it. Tangible Kingdom, creating incarnational community. How do I actually do this if I don't have a Bible degree or nope. I have a church or I don't have a radio show? I think I, that book so rattled me, but it also gave me so much hope. Like, oh, introvert, extrovert, yes. whatever Enneagram, doesn't matter. Like, you have been equipped to actually live this out. And if you don't have that fire or you don't desire for it, like pray that God will begin to grow. That's great. That's great. You can go to Christianity today.com or we'll link this to our Facebook page for investments that lead to missional power. Well, coming up next, we are not just going to close this day. We're going to close this week with just some internet insanity and a little bit of a word of warning. These didn't come from Keith. All of these came from the mind of PJ. Holy cow. Uh, 100%. We're going to end the show. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing. It's the end of the show. It is just craziness that comes out of the mind of our producer. You a little scared? It's all PJ today. I'm scared every time, but PJ was telling us he didn't go to sleep till like 5 a.m. Yeah, this could get And that, that can't be a good sign. So before we get to his craziness, let me remind you. Okay. Focus on the family. Ian wants you. I'm focused. Not anyone else out there wants you to win an all-inclusive marriage getaway. I mean, I don't not want that. With your wife, even. She's allowed to come. She is allowed to come. Let's do it. Enter. You want to know where you go? You got to go somewhere to to win this. You know where? (laughs) 1160hope.com. I should have guessed that. Keyword, marriage. That is so memorable. (laughs) There you go. Keyword marriage. There's no way I'm going to forget that. Go do it, people. You can win an all-inclusive marriage getaway. We hope you enter, and we hope you win. You read the first story. Wait, read the first story of what? You haven't told people what we're doing. I did. We're doing crazy stories that PJ found from the internet. you haven't given the title. You never give the title, Brian. What's the title again? Are you kidding me right now? No, I'm not. <laughs> Just try. Best guess what you think the Interweb title is. Interweb insanity. Yeah, that wasn't so hard. There we go. <laughs> We're only doing eight months in. California. Family returns from dinner to naked selfie-taking burglars and sign their bathtub. Nice start, John. A Fortuna family. Fortuna? Fortuna? 
I'm oh. I'm four tuna. You're the four salmon, or you're four tuna. <laughs> uh, That's f- funnier than it sh- should be. Uh, that went out for dinner. Returned to find two naked strangers inside their home last week. We came home from dinner tonight to find these two in our house. Resident Tara Johnson wrote on Facebook: The girl was completely naked in the kitchen cooking dinner while the guy was taking a bath. What? <laughs> Sergeant Jason Cadle of the Fortuna, a Pro Tuna Police Department, <laughs> said. Officers responded to the home at about 9 p.m. on August 22nd. Inside the home, officers found Christopher Michael Bacon. Come on. Come on. Tuna and bacon? Come on. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> and Osha Marie Venata, nude inside the, house, the family's bathtub. Both suspects were arrested for burglary and booked into the Humboldt County Correctional Facility. Floor's all yours. <laughs> Mr. Nude. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Number two, Florida. Surfer bitten after catching wave landing on shark. Wait. Yeah, man's recovering after being bitten by a shark in New Smyrna Beach. Volusia County Beach Safety Ocean Rescue officials, that's a long name, yeah. <laughs> said 40-year-old Don Walsh was surfing around 11.55 a.m. Tuesday when he caught air on a wave, tucked and landed on the shark in wake, waist-deep water. And then rode it like a bull. Took a wave. One thing I never do, I never really try to throw an air, but I tried to throw one. What? Didn't land it. <laughs> landed on a shark instead, and he decided to take a bite out of me. That's the craziest report Walsh. from the guy that was bit. Wall said the shark, which he described as about six and a half feet long, bit his left hand and calf. He didn't even notice the shark until it bit him. It felt like a freight train hit me, and the first thing I could think of was to literally push him away from me. And as soon as it happened, I grabbed my board and started the paddle. <laughs> what is happening to your voice right now? Is... I picture that's the way oh he did it. Oh, my word. That's uh, all the that Dude, you got the best barrels ever, dude. Just like you pull in, and you just get spit right out of him. And you just drop in and just smack the lip. Drop down. Snap. And then after that, you just drop in, just ride the barrel and get pitted. So pitted like that. That's, that's exactly real, how I talk. That's a real guy, by the way. That's a real news interview. I've never seen him before. Awesome. All right. Vietnam. A patient with severe ear pain had bee burrowing inside him. Why nice. do I keep getting these stories? I don't know. A doctor in Vietnam shared video of an unusual situation where a patient with ear pain had a large bee burrowing inside his head. That mm. sentence. The doctor used a small camera to look inside and take a selfie with the beer. Just kidding. Uh, inside the ear of a patient who came in complaining of severe ear pain and the cause turned out to be a large bee. What? Ouch, booze. What are you doing? Ouch, booze, booze, booze. Stop that. I don't know what that was. Okay, let's bring Keith back. Colorado. <laughs> Colorado couple getting into boxing match with home invading bear. What the heck Author- are whiffy stories? <laughs> Authorities in Colorado said a couple got into a fist fight with a bear when the animal and its cub entered their home to steal food. And the bear was naked. <laughs> <laughs> and surfing. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office and the couple investigated sounds inside their pine home about 8.30 p.m. Monday and came face to face with the mother cub, mother bear and cub. The larger animal attacked the 71-year-old what? man who hit the predator with his fist while his wife struck it with a baseball bat. Get out. Authorities described the confrontation as a boxing match. <laughs> Deputies said the mother bear and cub fled through a screen door. The man suffered minor scrapes and cuts, but he won the championship belt. Boys, looky there. That there's a Rocky Mountain black bear. One of the few remaining of its kind. Isn't it beautiful? My God, it's coming right for us! <laughs> oh, my God. Gosh, John. That was interesting. I just want to be friends with that couple, though. Yes. That's a bad, that's a great story. Wisconsin, last but not least, gas station erroneously prices mid-grade gas 
at 28 cents a gallon to driver's delight. This I, is a happy story. I played the bass for mid-grade gas. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to say erroneously priced. <laughs> uh, it was a payoff at the pump August 26 for customers filling up at a BP gas station near Milwaukee when the price for mid-grade gas was 28 cents per gallon. Two people called police to report numerous vehicles coming and going from the gas station. When officers arrived, the gas station pumps and lot were full with cars. The line stretched onto nearby streets. Officers discovered the price for silver mid-grade gas was 28 cents per gallon uh, at all the pumps. Officers found no signs of damage or tampering. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> so what, who, what the heck was that? Who are the two people who called the cops? Yeah, <laughs> that's the kid in the back of the class who's like, teacher, aren't we supposed to have a, yeah, co- a test today? who called the cops on that one? Jeez, I, would, Louise. I would send that 71-year-old bear-punching guy after them. Or just send the bear. Oh, anyway, those are good. Good job, John. Way to do that. Yeah, it, was, it was adequate. Adequately done. Oh, no. Speaking of adequately done, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.